0: Welcome to the Student Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 63rd episode, we have ceramic artist Grace Shisan to talk about her solo exhibition play, which just opened up at Merwin Gallery at Illinois Wesleyan University in Bloomington, Illinois. We'll talk to her about her process and her ideas about the exhibition. Of course, you can find her work there and see it there through September 26th but you can also check it out on her Tumblr page gracesheese.tumblr.com so please go ahead and do that there will be a link on this very blog entry and of course if you've never heard of Studio Break we are a podcast and blog site we have all sorts of interviews with different artists you can easily check them out on studiobreak.com we've got slideshows of their work and links to their websites and you can access all of our archives through the archive feature just look on the left sidebar scroll month by month and we've got tons of different podcasts. Or as I said, it's very easy to subscribe to us to Studio Break in iTunes, so please go ahead and do that. If you'd like to find out more about Studio Break or want to follow along with any news or announcements, a great way to do that is to like our Facebook page. Please check it out and like us. Again, we provide uh, upcoming announcements, upcoming guests, show announcements, as well as competitions, things like that, so please like it. Of course, if you want, you can follow us on Twitter at Studio Break, so please go ahead and do that, and you can follow me at David Linway on Twitter if you'd like. I could go on and on, but let's get to this interview with Grace Shees. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break. I'm happy to be joined this afternoon by Grace Shees. How are you?
1: Fine, thank you. How are you?
0: I'm great. It's exciting to have you on. I know that we've kind of talked a little bit here and there, trying to schedule you. And, um, you know, you've got a big show that just opened And uh, we're going to talk to you all about your work. So, again, thanks for taking the time.
1: Thank you very much for having me. I'm very excited to be part of your podcast.
0: And, you know, I always start out just because I uh, don't necessarily know everything about all of my guests. So uh, I usually like to have them. Could you just tell us a little bit about uh, where you're from and where you grew up?
1: Sure. I was born in Taipei, Taiwan, and I came to the United States when I was a couple months shy of eight it's funny because I was raised very Chinese and that we spoke Chinese at home. I'm still fluent in in Chinese. Thanks to my parents is pushing me to speak Chinese at home. And we usually eat Chinese food. Eating American food was a big treat. I since eight knew that I wanted to be a doctor and specifically I knew I wanted to be a pediatrician. And then at some point I wanted to become a pediatric oncologist. So it's funny for me to think about the fact that I'm a full-time artist because I had always wanted to be a doctor. I went to college thinking I was going to be a doctor and I graduated college with a Bachelor of Arts in Ceramics.
0: Gosh, going could be an easy answer, but how did, how did that transition happen? Was art ever around you when you were at a young age?
1: I would say that I was not introduced to art until I was in college. But thinking back about it, I realized that it is a part of me because my mom loves music and my sister became a musician. Um, My dad was an architect and I used to think it was really normal for dads to rip up floors, to put in new wood floors, to build a uh, goldfish pond in your backyard because he was done fixing up the rest of the house I thought it was really normal for dads to build a bathroom entirely out of the back of the stairs. And there was a space there. Um, or, you know, my dad in the, in my, they've moved since college for me and he has, they have this house and, and he cut a hole in the wall in the, in the half bath downstairs, put a light in it and put a stained glass Uh, window panel over it and so he was so excited he would say look it's like there's a window but it's in the middle of the bathroom and it's and the light and the sun is shining through lighting up the stained glass and i used to think everybody's dads did that and It turned out, no, just my dad. And so he has a lot of artistic sensibilities. And my mom and my dad, they both love gardening. My mom loves to point out all the beautiful flowers when we go for walks. And she'll stop and smell the flowers and say, oh, look at this beautiful color. And, you know, and so I think it was around me, but in a much subtle way than perhaps some other artists who had known from a really early age on that they wanted to be an
0: artist. So you went to college pursuing this as this is your your field your course of study did you were you really interested in the sciences at the time then I would imagine
1: i I really liked biology and um I wouldn't say that i I was ever that excited about science mm-hmm. and I don't even remember why I decided I wanted to be a doctor, but i just i did uh the so when I think back about it, I'm not sure where that idea came from. You know, I know people talk about turning points in their lives and this is why they want to become whatever it is, you know, like they almost died and had a doctor save them and they wanna be a doctor. I did not have those kind of experiences. Um it makes sense to me that I wanted to be a pediatrician because I've always liked kids. and I, I was a good babysitter. Um, I was a good camp counselor. So that part made sense to me. But somewhere along the line, I got this idea I wanted to be a doctor. I was a candy striper. I was really gung-ho about it. I even memorized the Hippocratic Oath at some point. Um, and then I got to college, and I thought I really liked biology. But interestingly, I, I got more interested in ecology and zoology than I did some of the more medical-based sciences. Um, And then I took organic chemistry and experienced the first maybe F in my life (laughs) Mm -hmm. and also had this profound experience of not understanding what was happening in class, you know, like I felt like the professor was talking to me in a foreign language. And what made it worse is he would start the class as well, based on what we learned yesterday. And I thought, okay, uh, I didn't understand what you said yesterday, but we'll just keep piling on what I don't understand, you know. And it was it was horrifying and humbling at the same time.
0: Were you taking uh, art class at the time when you when you got this F or how did how did you wind up enrolling or getting interested in it?
1: Uh, I wasn't taking any art classes. I, I had not had that intention, but, um, so I attended the college of William and Mary, which is in Williamsburg, Virginia. Um, and for those who's interested in history a little bit, this is what they can, it's, it's in the same place where they have a lot of, uh, colonial Williamsburg stuff. Um, and Jamestown is really close by and Yorktown's really close by. And so, um, they came, a recruiter came to where, where my parents were living at the time and I interviewed with them and, and the recruiter said, you know, your grades are spot on. You Your activities are spot on. You would be a perfect candidate for our school. But I'm curious to know what you would take that's outside of your interest in becoming a doctor. And I have no idea what made me say this, but the words I would like to take a ceramics class, just completely popped out of my mouth. And I've never had an interest in ceramics. I didn't even really know what it was. I never took art in high school. So I have no clue what made me say that. And I remember thinking when I arrived at William Mary that and have and have had these experiences of failures and realizing that I I'm not that excited or interested in chemistry and biology. I was also really turned off by how competitive the pre-med students were. Um, I remembered this interview. And so I decided that I was going to take the steps necessary, which mostly meant I needed to take a 3D foundations class first um, to take a ceramics class. And um, I know a lot of ceramic ceramicists say this. But this is my experience as well, was that I took my ceramics class and I just fell in love with it.
0: Was it a big shift in terms of obviously the way that you're you're approaching the material? You know, it's very hands-on as opposed to something, you know, again, that's cumulative, you know, lecture maybe based or, or reading based. What was it like then just to kind of work with that material? Was it um, something that you kind of looked at as having all these possibilities like immediately or just something that was like, uh, you know, you were in awe with, I guess?
1: I was at first really taken just with the format of the class. And maybe that sounds funny to some people who, who's always been interested in art and who's also always pursued it. But for me, I had come from these 300 student lecture courses where the professor was a dot and he lectured and you took notes and you took a test. And I walked into this first, the 3d foundations class and then the ceramics class where, um, the class was three hours long. I remember thinking, that's a really long class. Uh, but then you can actually interact with a professor. You know, she would come up. She knew my name. She talked to me because art classes are much more intimate than a lot of the lecture classes. And I was active. I didn't just sit and listen. I uh, and, and just the act of getting my hands dirty and trying to figure out something so physical because learning how to throw, which was one of the first classes that I took is a very technical, uh, thing to learn. And so that was also really interesting because it wasn't about memorizing facts and understanding these abstract concepts or understanding that, you know, chemical reactions, which still seems really abstract to me. It was much more immediate. Um, if you can't throw a pot, you can see that very, very quickly because something will fly off the wheel or it will collapse. Uh, You just got an immediate feedback. And so that immediate physicality and just the intimate uh, feeling of the class was really astounding to me.
0: How did you pursue it in terms of uh, when you started kind of getting into those more advanced courses? Uh,
1: You know, I do think the fact that I wasn't exposed to art until I was older. And I think part of me is just very practical. I had always wanted to make functional work, and I still make functional work. And it was just not even something I ever really questioned. I did question it a little bit in graduate school, but it was just a pretty—I found my thing, and that was the end of that. And, I, and I'm and i not interested in making sculpture. I'm interested in making pots at some point I became an art major and I needed to take other classes, including a 2d class and a drawing class. And I remember just really struggling with that and not in a way that made me think I want to pursue this as well. I was just not one of those students. I think I was lucky. I found clay. That was my material. I found that I love making functional work and I love solving the mystery of what make function function or make what, you know, like what makes a cup, a cup, a bowl, a bowl. And that was that was it for me.
0: Well, I guess, too, just to kind of think about it, you know, um, as as any kind of uh, undergraduate student that maybe is in, you know, a BFA program, you know, you're exploring all these different uh, techniques and materials. And I guess without getting too, like, super specific, were you, did you explore a lot of those? Or, for example, was was porcelain something that was Uh, Something that you worked with immediately?
1: Um, It took me a long time to come to porcelain. I came to college and I all of a sudden discovered that I'm a hippie and I fully embraced that. And I think part of that was part of the appeal to to want to become a potter is there is this idea of living humbly, making lovely objects for everyday use, connecting with the user, um, almost sort of this idea of, Thoreau, but as a potter instead of a, um, a writer and a thinker. And, um, so I was not into porcelain because it was too pristine and it was too white and it was just too clean. And so I, for a really long time used brown clay or um, red clay. Um, and I made a lot of brown pots and it took a long time for me to realize that, Yes, but part of me is has hippie tendencies, but really there's this other side of me that really loves color and clarity. And for my pre the work that I was making before I went to grad school, it was very meticulous. And because of that, all of that, I needed to use something that a clay that could show all of those things off. Um, I did a lot of carvings and the brown clay just somehow ate all of those carvings up. So eventually I I went into porcelain and it was interesting. Once I decided to go into porcelain, um, it was like I, a sigh of relief, like, okay, finally you found it, you know? Um, so because the brown pot, the brown pot appealed to this, this part of me that was short term, if that made sense. Um, and so now I choose to use porcelain because, because I, I just like the fact that I have this white canvas that I can choose to cover up if I want to, and not if I don't. I also really like the fact that I can choose not to put glaze on something, and um, on the surface. And if I sand it down, it becomes buttery soft in a way that no other no other types of clay can do.
0: For these uh, brown clay kind of uh, pots and that. What were your influences in terms of uh, what you're looking at? And again, I'm thinking about this from from someone that maybe you know again doesn't have all that art history, all that art experience in high school, or you know doodling for you know eons in your in your sketchbooks or something like that.
1: I for at that time I looked a lot to just within the the clay the ceramic field. I just looked to a lot of potters, other potters, and how and their work and what I loved about their work. Um, and I didn't really look outside of, of that, the functional ceramic world at that time. Um, so I lusted after a lot of just these really simple, and it's funny to say this now, but simple, but not really heavily decorated as far as surface goes, pieces, um, that was just meant for everyday use they were made probably rather quickly and they were fired in a gas kiln and there was a lot of this idea of letting fire and the process leave its mark on the clay instead of you leaving the mark on the clay
0: that's interesting and and I think again I mean there's there is a level of of kind of a scientific approach in the way that you know there's a process involved in making ceramics and um, obviously, like a lot of different kinds, and of course, I'm not <laughs> not very familiar with all of them. Um, but what was it like then, too, in terms of uh, playing around with other other materials? I mean, if you're not sketching these things, then are are you really kind of like um, you know doing test tiles? Are you testing out all different kinds of techniques while you're working through these ideas? Because I guess I'm especially interested in how um, that transition took place. You know, going from uh, making things that are very simple, non-decorative to, to these you know objects, these functional objects that are, you know, layered with all this um, all all these different kinds of formal interests.
1: Well, a big turning point for me was my last year of undergrad, the professor that was there at the time, she took she was on sabbatical and so we had a visiting professor coming in. Uh, her name is Julia Galloway and she is known for using porcelain and, and having these um, beautifully dense and luscious surfaces. And so she, and she does not use Brown pots. She does not make Brown pots. She definitely uses porcelain and she believes in color. And she just, she came in and she, she sort of blew my mind and then put it back together again. Um, you know, she, we cleared out the studio. She talked a lot about color and don't be a scared to use color. And there's nothing wrong with liking something that's not brown um, and that non-brown pots are just as legitimate as colorful pots. And um, that, and I have to say her work ethic, she was fully engaged when she was teaching, but when she wasn't teaching, somehow we knew that she was in her studio. She talked about how sometimes she would even sleep in her studio. And when she was in her working in her studio, you don't bother her, you know? And, um, and she, and even today, sometimes when I'm feeling lazy, I will think, well, would Julia approve? (laughs) And if the answer is no, then it's like, okay, I need to get off my ass and get and work in the studio. Um, And so because of, of her, I think I learned to appreciate and start to understand that this one way of thinking that I was becoming like law for me is, is not how it needs to be, you know, so it's not some kind of law that brown pots are the only kind of good pots out there and that it's okay to use color and it's okay to, to like having a dense surface. And it's okay that you make a mark on the material instead of always letting the mark the, the The mark being made by the material itself and the process itself
0: did that wind up directly influencing then the the work that you made at the end of undergraduate, or was it uh, was there any kind of break in between or what was the transition like going from from the work that you're making before into this into incorporating some of those ideas?
1: It definitely influenced the work that I was making when I graduated with my undergrad degree. I think it's fine to break rules for example, but you have to learn those rules first and you have to learn how to operate within those rules and know those rules really, really well. And then say, you know, I'm ready to break them. Does that make any
0: sense? No, I think it makes perfect sense.
1: And so my work today is still influenced by those things that I learned from her. Um, and so I think in order for me to figure out what the rules are and how, and how to operate within them, I, um, I did a lot of mimicking. um, And, but yet I was desperate to find my own voice and my work. And so I looked at at a lot of pots. I looked at a lot of potters work that I loved and I tried to figure out what it is about their work that I love. And if I didn't understand it, then I would try to mimic it. And so my work definitely took a lot of shifts and turns, lots of ups and downs before I landed where I am today.
0: Well it's it's interesting too because it's I would imagine all those experiments you know just kind of took you in different paths or maybe you know you're kind of onto something that you really kind of like and then you are trying to mimic something else it's almost like actual you know like research by doing you know
1: Yes definitely
0: How did you start to explore I guess uh uh color then and again at this time was it was it all porcelain work
1: Um yes at some point I did decide that I, that Pretty much after I met Julia, decided that porcelain was okay. Um, it's that it's okay to like a, a white surface, mm-hmm. um, and that you have just as much options. Um, after I graduated, I I was making pots. What I would call part time, I was a full time elementary school teacher. I taught mostly third and fourth grade. Mm-hmm. So I fired in a gas kiln, and that was like a residue of the things that I had learned in college. That was one of those rules that I thought things has to be. And, um, and so I was still exploring a lot of color, but rather muted because they were, I was having them get fired in my friend's gas kiln. Um, And I I had started to look a lot at architecture and in particular Asian architecture. And, um, and then what happened was, One, I got an electric kiln um, for a really good deal. And two, my husband had said, maybe you should think about using your electric kiln more so that we don't have to tote all your work out to this friend's studio and load up the gas kiln. Um, And then also I became reacquainted with Julia because I met her at a clay conference and she had... We, we started talking and I told her I was confused. I didn't know where I was going with my work. And she um, told me she was teaching this workshop and she told me if I need this, then I need to make it happen. And so I did go to this workshop. I did make it happen. And it was really nice to reacquaint with her. And she was still teaching about color and still making the argument that color on pots is okay. And trying to really um, shed some, just trying to, show that this idea of brown pots and, um, simple plant non-decorated pots is good, but that this other option is equally valid. Mm-hmm. Um, and so after that workshop, I started to explore more and more with color. And since at this point I had shifted to using an electric kiln, um, the environment, of an electric kiln is just cleaner because you're using electricity to keep the, the, the kiln, um, you're, it's easier to get brighter colors. Um, and so part of it was out of necessity, meaning I needed to use the electric kiln more instead of going to the gas kiln. And part of it was reacquainting with Julia and taking that workshop and being reminded again that it's okay to like color.
0: Well, and, and just to Get an understanding uh, for myself, especially how does how does the process work in terms of working with porcelain? But is it something then where you're you're making the form and then um, coloring it and firing it, or or how does how does that work?
1: Well, um, working with porcelain really is pretty much the same as working with other clays, except that porcelain can be pretty finicky. Um, and but the typical process of making a clay piece whether it's a functional piece or not is you when you make the the work and the clay is wet and when it's completely dry you put it into a kiln it can be a, a kiln that is powered by gas or electricity um and then after that first firing which is what we call a bisque the clay hardens and it's a little bit it's stronger and so it's easier to then apply glaze to um, then once you put glaze on the bisque piece. Then you can put it back into the kiln. And typically you fire hotter to then the first firing, which was called the bisque. Um, And then usually when the piece comes out of the glaze firing kiln, at that point it's finished. Um, And for a really long time, that's what I did. I made work. I let it dry. I put it in the kiln. I bisque it. I glaze it. I put it in the kiln, I came out and it was finished. Um, and it wasn't until after, during the end of my graduate school career that I started to play a lot with layering and trying to explore all the possibilities that can happen and what you can do with the pot after it comes out of the glaze firing.
0: How do you get all of those details? How do you make it, you know, very, very specific to, to get the, those kinds of colors and just all those different things that you're doing on the surface? of
1: it? Well, um, Getting color ceramic wise can be tricky mostly because um, unlike with painting, for example, you get color through pigments, right? But um, with ceramics, you can't rely on the pigments. You rely mostly on chemical reactions. So um, for example, cobalt, which is an, an oxide turns blue. And so you're not getting blue because you're using a blue pigment. You're getting blue because of the chemical reaction that occurs to turn the cobalt blue. Um, A really good example is actually an oxide copper. Um, Copper, when it's in a reduced environment, meaning if it comes in contact with carbon, um, it can turn red. But in a clean, oxidized environment, it can it turns green. And so like, I think copper is another really good example of understanding it's more of a chemical reaction. Um, And for me, I get color in lots of different ways. I use a lot of commercially made uh, colorants. um, And so I will apply color on the clay when it's still wet. And I also use glaze um, to get another layer of color, um, and then I also can get color through with decals, which is applied after the piece has been glazed fired.
0: So how do you how do you decide the way that you're gonna um, work over the piece? You called it like a, a blank canvas before because it's white. But I mean, is it something that you worked intuitively with, or
1: um, I I don't sketch. I have discovered a really long time ago that it's always disappointing to try to sketch out what's from my head onto paper. And I'm just honestly not really strong at drawing. Um, what I do do is, um, I have a notebook and each piece, even whether it's a, it's a humble little cup to a complicated jar, they, it has a title. And, um, generally what I do is I, I create a piece and I spend a long time on the form and then, as I'm working on the form, whether I'm altering it or adding something, some sculptural elements to it, I think about where that piece is going, and I give it a title. And then, really, a, a really ma- one of the main reasons why I do that is because I have a tendency to just go overboard and want to cover every single c- inch, every centimeter of the surface. If it's if there's a little spot of white left, I think, oh no, no, I need to cover it up. And um, and it's not always a good move. And so I, um, the title really helps keep, keep me in line. And so then if there's, if this piece is about rain, then I need to think about that and make choices that pertains to that idea. Um, and what I do instead of making a sketch is I write down a lot of notes and because the piece it takes a long time to finish something and there's periods where I don't get to see it. And there's, sometimes I have this idea, but I can't apply that idea until the, the, um, until it's been glaze fired. And so I don't want to lose all of those ideas. So each piece that I make gets a page in my notebook. It has a title. I write down the different colors that I use so I can help. It helps me remember. It helps me better match the colors. And then I write down any thoughts or any notes that I want. Um, and when, when I finish the piece, then I will, um, you know, and I'm glazing it, I will look back in my notebook, revisit that, those notes, and then make my decisions that way. And I try really hard to do a combination of, one, not letting the title bog me down and totally and completely. Um, and I try to make very specific formal decisions. So let's say the cup is about rain. I try to make decisions that are that, that falls within that idea, but I also allow myself to just respond to what I see. And so some of the marks that I make is it's not really a formal decision, but it's more of an intuitive, intuitive decision of like, I feel like this needs a really fluid fat line. And so I just allow myself that chance to play with that and attached and and put that line on without really thinking it through as to what is the meaning of that line? You know, how does that line play with, with the idea of rain? Um, and so I bounce back and forth a lot between the formal and the intuitive. I definitely work, um, a, a lot of pieces at the same time. Um, so I feel like we're jumping back and forth a little bit. So sorry for doing that. Um, before I went to graduate school, I, um, I was a full-time potter and, you know, and, and during that time I had learned that I need to be efficient with my time. Um, it's even more important now that now that we have a three-year-old son and, uh, I need to balance that as well. And so, so part of working with multiples is efficiency, but part of it too is impatience because a lot of times, you know, I apply a, a layer of color on, and I can't do anything to it until it dries before I apply a second color or before I carve into, it or before I do something to it. And so I find that I mess up my pieces. If I just sit there and stare at it, because then all of a sudden it's like, when is this thing going to dry? I'm just, you know, it's like, come on, come on, come on. And so, but if I have another piece waiting for me, then it's much easier to say, okay, I'm going to set this one down. I'm going to let this dry. And then I'm going to work on this other piece. And so, Normally, um, if I'm making cups, for example, I, I tend to throw 20 cups at a time and then I will work on all 20 cups at the same time. And I actually am, um, my mind doesn't work so well when I jump back and forth. And so I will do all the throwing all at the same time. And then I will build the forms all, at, all, not exactly, you know, like all at the same time, but I will build one and I'll build another one. And I also really enjoy working like that because then I'm, trying out new things and all of a sudden I hit upon something that's really exciting, then I can grab a fresh pot and try to see how I can push it further. And then once the films, the forms are all built, then I work on the surface. Um, then, you know, I put it into the kiln and then they come out and I glaze all at the same time. And because the way you have to work with clay when it's wet versus when it's, when it's been fired, it just requires a different way of thinking. And so, um, I find that I can't jump back and forth. And the other reason why I like to work in multiples is because, um, because I do do, I, I have, I put so much surface on the pieces. I try really hard and uh, there's so many options and I don't want to overwhelm each piece with basically all the tricks in my toolbox. I try really hard to think about, uh, the clay at its state, you know, like the clay changes from this wet, lumpy thing into this really durable yet fragile object. And so when the clay is wet, I think about, well, what is the essence of this wet clay? And part of it is I can alter the form. It allows me to carve into things, take away, it allows me to attach things. And so I try to do, capture the essence of that. Um, When I'm glazing, the clay is hard. I can't do any addition or subtraction to it. And so at that point, it's more about color. And so I try to focus more about that. And then when it comes out of the kiln and I put applied decals on, um, it's more about the possibility of precision then, um, because a lot of the decals comes from the computer. And so like with each step too, I try really hard to capture the essence of what the clay is at that moment um, or at that stage. And so working in multiples and working in these sort of blocks of only one, you know, building the form, putting on the surface, working with the clay during the glazing process post that it really helps me keep track and maintain and try to capture all that stuff that I was saying about the essence of that stage of clay.
0: It seems like this language between all the stuff that you, you made, you know, previous to this. And it seems like a lot of that stuff then kind of like stacks up and and that's what you're kind of reacting to. when you have, you know, 20 pieces that are, (laughs) I guess, waiting to be glazed and, and worked over. How do you find ways to keep that invigorated?
1: No, I, I um, no, I, I think that that's a, a really important question to walk, to leave graduate school fulfilling a few goals, and one of which is I don't want to be bored in a studio. And so one of the things I did is I I keep notebooks. And so like one notebook is all the things that I can do when the clay is wet. And then there's a separate notebook Of lists of things like these are all things you can do when you're glazing. And so sometimes when I'm really stuck or I'm thinking, you know, I've been doing the same thing over and over again, I will um, look at those notebooks and flip through them and think, oh, I totally forgot about this one technique. What if I tried it here? Um, I also try really hard to pay attention to just what's happening in the ceramics field. Um, I There's a few, there's, I read blogs. I When I see videos of somebody trying out some technique, I will tr- watch it and jot it down or think, oh, that's really cool. Um, and try that. I also really enjoy looking at non-ceramic um, artwork and think, think about, what I can try to think, Oh, look at that artist and look how they're layering a photograph on top of a painting on top of a drawing that looks, they're thinking about it this uh, in the same way that I am, even though working with different mediums. Um, I also knit when I can and um, you know, and it, it's taken a really long time, but fiber is coming into play just a little bit with my, Uh, ceramic work now, you know, and I try not to take knitting too seriously, because I already have this really serious form of artwork, which is my ceramic studio work. And so when I knit, I try really hard to just have fun with it. And, and I think that idea also helps carry over into my studio work sometimes.
0: Sure. and I mean, are there also, um, I don't know, differences in terms of like, like ways that you challenge that in terms of maybe, I don't know, different forms? Do you work um, in a variety of different sciences so that there's also different kind of resolutions to the the way that you're exploring all these materials and and kind of working through these different ideas?
1: Yes. So when I'm done making 20 cups, I will then force myself to make something bigger, like a jar or something more complicated. Um, And I feel like working in these different forms, when I bounce back and forth, then I it just generates new ideas. Um, And, you know, there was this, this potter, his name is Elmer Taylor. And I went, I was in his workshop uh, years ago now. And he had said, masterpiece doesn't come by you having one great idea. And as a matter of fact, this idea of masterpiece is just ridiculous really you you generate ideas by making you just keep working and working and working, and more and more ideas will come you know and I just really believe that and so I try really hard to bounce back and forth between different forms, making larger work and more complicated you know and then after w- making some larger jars that's really complicated, it's actually kind of exhausting, so then it's really nice to then bounce back to smaller, more familiar ideas like a cup or a bowl um and try out some of those ideas that I learned from the jars in a smaller, quicker way. And then when that becomes a little more limiting, then I can bounce back to something more complicated. So that kind of constant bouncing, I feel like, is another way to keep myself engaged in the studio.
0: You said that before these are all uh, functional ceramics. What is, that, what is that interest or that level of uh, function in the work and um, the way that you want to pursue it? Is, is it just that level of uh, tradition or... or um you enjoy the craftsmanship of it or what is that about?
1: Well, um, function is something that I've thought a lot about and it's, I guess it's the answer is is several different layers. Um, one, I, I love the fact that I can sell the work because then I can make more work. It's there's nothing more depressing than having my studio full of, of just, I'm running out of space, you know, um, because it's full of all the work that it's just sitting around like, I love it. And I panic at the same time when my studio is just completely empty. When I send out a big box of work to a gallery, I think, oh man, my studio is so empty. I better get to work, you know? And, um, so on that level, that's really nice that, that, that I can do that. Um, and I also love the fact that, you know, I think that function has some really rigid rules. Like I think many people don't think about this, but what makes a cup work well, right? I mean, if we all know the things that makes a cup not work well, but there's many things that that has to happen in order for a cup to work well. Um, And so there's certain rules or boundaries to make that happen. And I love the fact that I can, that I need to abide by those rules, yet at the same time, I can push some of them. And you know, um, I've been playing with other non-ceramic materials that I can add into um, my work. And, you know, wire is, is one that I've used a lot. And, um, you know, and and I, so I think about like, well, okay, wire, it's, it's a really non-traditional, but I feel like I'm being a rebel because I'm adding wire to a cup. Um, then I think, well, that means you can't microwave it. And so at at some point there's this like function versus aesthetic. And sometimes I let function win. Sometimes I let aesthetics win, you know, um, and also the use of non-ceramic materials forced me to start thinking about other materials that I can use as well. Um, and every time I do that, I just feel like I'm such a rebel because I'm, breaking the rule cuz who puts wire in, in in a cup that you can still use every day and that can go in the dishwasher you know and what else can i use um and like for example my latest discovery is um i made this connection with the help of my mother in law uh, that thread in a way is a lot like ceramics or clay and i never thought of it like that before but you know when you're sewing you you expect that you, like a shirt or a dress or whatever you expect that you can wash this and it needs to be color fast and last for many years, which is really like the same rules as um, a lot of the functional pots that they need, they need to buy, be, abide by the same rules. And um, so that got me thinking about like, well, how can I put thread into a cup? And again, I just feel a little bit gleeful, like, yes, you know, I'm breaking this rule because this rule is not as important as having the cup you know, be comfortable and not drip and and easy to use and easy to wash and things like that. So for me, function really pushes. A lot of the decisions that I make, and it also pushes me to keep exploring and trying out new things.
0: There's so many different ways of making artwork, you know, so many different mindsets. I can completely hear what you're saying because I, th- I think, like, there's also a certain level of rules in terms of the way that I think that I have to work. Really kind of figuring out how far that, that can be stretched is something that, you know, makes it exciting, makes it interesting, and I think also, I mean, it really kind of, like to me anyways, it really kind of hits upon all these things that you were talking about in terms of, you know, finding different ways of exploring it. And it could be, you know, again, working on vessels that are l- larger versus ones that are smaller or, you know, um, using a different uh, paintbrush size or uh, using a different uh, sculptural material. Um, again, it's, it's so interesting to think about. We have all these different possibilities of exploring, but then also that there there can be rules and that having you know, rules that even uh, uh, somebody imposes on themselves can kind of have all these different possibilities. And so it's it's interesting to think about how those all, all, all relate to a, a studio practice.
1: Yeah. And I feel like rules too, especially if you ask my husband, you know, I really hate being told what to do, <laughs> but, um, you know, but it's funny, like you said, but having those rules there and being forced to follow at least some of them really makes you have to be more creative. And it sounds like the complete opposite should happen, but um I think a lot of problem solving and just, well, how how can I follow this rule but still do what it is that I want to do just forces at least me to be more creative. Um and then it also makes me really think about um what I consider like what is what is what's cupness, you know, what makes a cup a cup and what are the absolute things that I must follow and what are some things that allows fudging you know and I just think it's really interesting to think about those type of things too so what's boldness and how do I maintain that but yet still push it a little bit um, and you know and this is why I think I will always be a functional potter because I like having those rules but I also like thinking about how to break them.
0: So how how does that fit into uh, making a show? And maybe you know, just point in case, um, could you talk a little bit about maybe how how a show like the one that just opened you know comes together in terms of? Do you have like specific themes or specific ideas that you're that you're working through towards a show, or is it something where you're continuing to to work all these different processes, and then when the show comes you're literally picking all the pieces that you want to include in it or is are there specific rules for specific shows or anything like that
1: um i think that it's starting to shift a little bit before i think it was more the show is more about my thought process and so um i have a solo show at illinois wesleyan university that opened yesterday and the title of the show is called play and um I would say that the theme of the show is my approach to making the work. Um, there are some other ideas simmering in the back of my head that are a little more about the pieces themselves or the ideas that's outside of my studio practice and how I the process of making. And so um, I think I'm still working through and adjusting to this new way of working since I graduated from grad school. And, um, and so this show, the play show is, is about that. But as I become more comfortable, um, and become second nature to work this way, then I think the shows and the way I approach shows will change into more of the ideas on the pieces themselves.
0: Well, and so how many, how many works are in the show? And, and are they uh, again, kind of representing that, Full range of, of different you know functional objects that you make.
1: For me, the the play show is really exciting because it's uh, my MFA thesis show was cups only. You know, cups is a good way to start when you change your body of work because they're small, they're easy, and they're quick. And so um, for play, I made sure to do more than cups because at some point, like I was saying, you know, it's important to bounce back and forth with different things and so I played around with bowls, but not just bowls, um, attaching bowls so that they become triple, triple bowls or double bowls, as I call them. And, you know, those were fun to make. Cause I thought a lot about, um, ser- serving dishes and how, what do they do and um, what are their role and someone is home. And then uh, I have the opportunity to play with more complicated forms. And, um, I also have jars, quite a bit of jars in in this show because I, um, jars are complicated and I really love them. And I've been exploring this idea of jarredness and, and there's a lot of different elements to that, you know, um, that jars usually they sit. And so they're in a way more sculptural for lack of a better word. Um, and, you know, and you only really interact with the lid. And so how can I make the lid really interesting and the focal point? Um, but then there's this idea that we put things into jars. Like I have this um, beautiful jar that uh, my husband had gotten for me and by this potter that I just I covet his work, you know, and... I shove receipts into them. It just seems so unromantic, you know? Um, And so, uh, but like, but that jar, it's almost like it's holding my secret of like, I am a messy person and company comes over. So I just shove all the receipts into this beautiful jar. Right. And so it's almost like they're containing little secrets or pockets or, you know, I, I, I've, um, currently been thinking a lot about, um, jars that contain really special things. Um, I, this idea was triggered by a studio visit I had with one of my professors, Sarah Smelser from Illinois state. And, um, you know, where she was saying, talking about keeping a baby's tooth, but it's a really treasured item, but, um, you wouldn't leave it hanging out. You put in something really special. And I was thinking like, yeah, that's what a jar would, would be too. And so, um, so there's a lot of jars in the show because there's lots of different things to explore. Um, and so I hope to continue making those things. And eventually I'd like to come back around to making vases again because, um, because there's this other element of adding something else, like the flowers, to the vase that I find interesting. But um, that's kind of in the back burner because I'm still not done thinking about jars yet.
0: It sounds like then you also have a lot of uh, work to get ready for in the future. Do you have other other important shows coming up that you're working away for?
1: Um, I, I do. Um, I am really jealous of my work because I will be part of a three woman show in Eugene, Oregon. And I'm jealous of my work because we used to live in Eugene we moved to Bloomington from Eugene actually. And I love Eugene and I would, I wish I can go back and, um, I, and I hadn't been back in a, several summers now. And so I'm really jealous that my pots will get to go back to Eugene and see a, my old friends and I won't get to be there. So um, so that's the next thing that's coming up. I'm also working on setting aside work so I can have my Etsy shop open again. Uh, and I also will have work in Montana in November um, and also in Baltimore for the holiday season as well. Yes. I try really hard to do that because like I was saying before, um, there's definitely more motivation when I'm faced with an empty studio and I need to fill it up with lots of work. So, um, and that, you know, if I can send out the work, then I have lots of room to explore and make new work and that's, really the best part right
0: yeah yeah that's excellent um you know again thank you so much for uh taking the time to talk about your work and, and your studio practice and um you know again hope to, to to keep getting updates and and keep seeing things all over the place
1: thank you very much for having me Dave I really enjoy talking to you it's it's always really fun to talk about art and um, I appreciate the opportunity that you've given me
0: Thanks again to Grace for joining us. And please go check out our website, graceshees.tumblr.com And please check out our artwork at the exhibition play, which runs through the 26th. Again, that's at the Merwin Gallery at Illinois Wesleyan University in Bloomington, Illinois. If you'd like to see some of my work, you can check it out at davidlinaway.com. You'll notice that my hyperlink is right there on the homepage of Studio Break. So if you're looking to check out new artwork, you can always go to my website. Again, I do a lot of painting and predominantly work with architecture and landscape, so please go ahead and check it out. Just a reminder that if this is the first time you're listening to Studio Break, remember to check out all the other podcasts we have. Again, each of those entries on studiobreak.com have slideshows of the work as well as links to the artist's website and the iTunes store where you can subscribe to the podcast. Once again, you can easily get all of your podcasts that way. And again, if you listen to it and enjoy listening to it, we'd really appreciate any comments and feedback as it just generally increases our visibility in the iTunes store and helps others looking for great podcasts to check out ours. So please go ahead and leave us some feedback there. Please remember, if you like it, share it, and also check out our Facebook page and get all of our announcements, all the cool things going on with Studio Break. Please also be sure to follow us on Twitter at Studio Break. You can follow me, David Linoway, at David Linoway on Twitter. And there you go. That's all the episode that we have for today. We hope that you enjoyed it and enjoyed listening to Grace Sheath talk about her artwork. We'll talk to you real soon.